With the NowJobs app, you're only three clicks away from a new student worker. Let us introduce you to the NowJobs app. That's extra help in just a few clicks. No fuss, no administration. Download it now. Available in Belgium, the Netherlands, France, and soon in Germany. NowJobs. Get the job done. Ka-ching! Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. Tesla delivered over 340,000 vehicles in the third quarter. And only four of them ended up in Levent's driveway. You're listening to the Chad and Cheese Podcast Does Europe. I'm your co-host, Joel Mussolina Cheeseman. This is Chad. Holy Manchester Batman. So wash. And Levent's still recovering from Rika's birthday party last weekend. Funny Benazen. And on this episode, a deco keeps it virtually real in Belgium. An acquisition four-way. And would you like a side of offshoring with that? Let's do this. European. Talent intelligence what does it mean imagine a world where it's easier for you to find and know your target group where it's easier to recruit and attract the talent you need from a european talent pool every year thousands of corporate recruiters hr departments and intermediaries rely on intelligence group to make that dream a reality Intelligence Group is the European market leader in recruitment talent intelligence. With innovative dashboards and tailor-made research in 28 European countries, it is our job to empower you as a state-of-the-art, data-driven recruitment business partner. Recruiting with data is great. Recruiting with Intelligence Group is better. Learn more about our services at intelligence-group.nl Intelligence Group, market leader in European talent intelligence. All right, guys, did you see the, the, the Man U versus Man City match over the weekend? I mean, it was nine goals, four goals by Man City in the first half. No goals by Man U, by the way. But I mean, it was well, in the U.S. what we call a shellacking. Hey, Chad, you'll be surprised. I, I watched football in Europe this weekend. It was oh. the Vikings versus the Saints. And what <laughs> real football is, American football. And God bless us for taking it to London. That's a real sport, people. You're welcome. And a great game with a double doink at the end. Anybody who loves football would have loved that game. Usually what happens is we send the Jacksonville Jaguars over there and they have some uh-huh. shitty performance. <laughs> but this is great. Levin, did you watch either one of those? Nope, never. I tried to <laughs> avoid it. What I do love about them is they're sprinkled with every jersey imaginable in the NFL. Like there's yeah. no super loyalty to the same. Obviously, people go over and watch the game, but everyone has their own player team uh, and they just come out to watch some American football. I have basically no fucking clue what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> 
you had an interesting weekend leaving. Yeah, I did actually. I did. You know, uh, Rika, who's been in the show some times before, uh, the CEO of House of HR, gave a pretty spectacular birthday party. She's going to become 50 soon. If I, maybe I shouldn't be mentioning this, but sorry, Rika. Amazing party, and I'm uh, still trying to uh, to recover. <laughs> oh, cool. She doesn't look a day over 29. Never. Exactly. Shout outs. Shout outs, everybody. My shout out is to Annelies van Rumbeek. You don't know who Annelies van Rumbeek is. I didn't know no. either until recently. Rumspringer. What? Something like that. Annelies van Rumbeek. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Flemish. So she's a business developer at SAP, um, what's it called? Success Factors. And uh, she noticed I was going to join you in Unleash or at Unleash. And she invited me for champagne tasting at, uh, after the Congress, which I think is a very good idea. Because you think uh, being chief digital, I'm invited to champagne tastings all the time. That's not true. You think people would invite me constantly? They don't. So it's a very good Hold idea on. from... Yeah. Chad, did you get an invite to this thing? I Yeah, I did not get an invite. Let me get this straight. She heard you were going to be there from our show, invited you, but not us. Yeah, See, that's yeah, some yeah, bullshit yeah. right there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I drink champagne. I can only state the facts. Is it alcohol? Of course you drink it. <laughs> I no, but uh, so shout out to Annelies. Thanks a lot. And uh, we'll meet in Paris. And if you want to invite Chad and Joel, then basically you can, I guess. Can you crash a champagne party or is that really a no-no in Europe? Oh, definitely. We do it all the time. I got a shout out for uh, going back to England. Our friends at CV Library, one of the most prominent and oldest job boards in the UK. It's been around since, wait for it, the year 2000. They've acquired programmatic platform Brilliant Jobs. Can you think of a better British company name than Brilliant Jobs? <laughs> Smashing. I guess Jolly Jobs would be better. But the move, which follows the likes the likes of Indeed acquiring ClickIQ, means the Redcoats are also coming to America and the rest of the world. The new product will be initially launched in October through CV Library's growing U.S. business resume library, because we don't say CV in the States. People don't even know what that is. Before being rolled out in other markets over the next 12 months, and they're not done, CV Library says it has over $9 million U.S. dollars set aside for acquisition and platform transformation over the next two years. Sounds like we'll be watching resume library here in the States for years to come, Chad. Hmm. That's interesting. I've never heard of brilliant, uh, whatever they call it, programmatic jobs, jobs, whatever it is. That's, that's, that's interesting. Is that, is brilliant jobs, is that actually a, a European company or is that a U.S. company? Yes, I believe it's the U.K. as well. The benefit of the programmatic business is you can, you know, uh, wash and rinse and repeat into any general area you want to because you don't have to actually build customers and job posting content. You can just open shop in other countries. So the job board buying a programmatic solution is sort of gaining steam. Uh, it certainly has in the U.S. I don't think Levin knew what programmatic was when we first started the show. <laughs> I learned it all from you guys. AppCast got acquired, Click IQ before that, uh, brilliant jobs. So it's, uh, you know, the days of backfilling it with Indeed and growing in other areas is gone. You got to have your own shit and programmatic is a way to do that. Yeah, I think the only way right now programmatic is really getting used is through organizations like uh, Talent Nexus in the in the UK is where they're actually being led in to, to organizations as consultants. So much like we've seen recruitment advertising for years, 
years. Uh, instead of just saying, here's my stuff, throw it in your platform, you actually have a consultant kind of like baby step you in. So uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. It's not a house of HR's bucket of money, <laughs> but nine nine million is nice for some acquisitions, I guess. Yeah, but with, with an inflation, an inflation of 10 percent, the bucket it's, uh, is getting smaller. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. 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 No kidding. Costs are getting cheaper, leaving a lot of clearance rack companies. That's true. And a lot of that due to our friend Liz Trust, maybe. I don't know. So mm. what's the over under that we think uh, Liz is going to stay in position as PM in the UK? Any bets? Well, she's got to have at least a year, right? They could switch in December. Isn't there like a vote coming in December? So that could be one way that she gets kicked out. But I mean, the, mm. the interest rates are rising due to inflation caused by stupid, stupid Russians. Uh, she cuts taxes, which seems to be counterintuitive. She reversed that today, didn't she? She had to. Yeah. She had to. Look at the sterling pound. It, it's pretty much on parity with the U.S. dollar today. One of the things I think happened with with Brexit was that you know it wasn't about stability. It was about the the ability to use volatility to either shoot up or shoot down. Well, they, on the way up, everybody was like, "Oh, it looks Brexit looks like Brexit looks like a smart smart deal." The problem mm -hmm. is they lost a hell of a lot of stability and there's always strength in numbers. So being able to be a part of the, the European Union, uh, I, I just wonder how the UK is, is going to fare in the uh, in the coming years. So basically, she took over for Boris mm -hmm. and there's a new election soon, which will either put a new party in power or not, and they'll decide who the prime minister is. So yes, she could uh, she could have a really short tenure is what you're saying. In Liz, we do not trust. Yeah. Anymore. Levin, what does the continent think about <laughs> Italy's new leader? Oh, that's a good question. Was it Georgia, Georgie Maloney? That is something else indeed. She used to be part of the party, which was the direct successor of the... Um, the fascist party, I mean, uh, the party from Mussolini, she is extremely right-winged, but the moment she was elected, she made a statement in which she said she was going to uh, support Europe, she was going to stay supporting Europe, she was going to support Ukraine, etc. So she probably will be less extreme as people were afraid of. But uh, it's, it was kind of a shock for many people, I think. And by support Europe, she means take it over. <laughs> That's one way of supporting, I guess. A united Europe. Europe, something like that. Huh? We are talking about Italy, right? I don't think that we're going to see yeah. Italy taking over Europe anytime not soon. Yet, not yet. <laughs> I mean, not, not really the military powerhouse uh, that we've seen in history. No. Well, it's going to be very different, not very different, but a little bit different Europe than we're used to seeing when we went there last time we were in Paris, mm -hmm. Chad, but we're heading back there. What for? On leash world which happens in paris it is an amazing time if you are in europe and you haven't registered yet come on people go to chadcheese.com uh clip it click in the upper right hand corner where you see events so we have a 20 percent off coupon that you can actually use it is an amazing show leaving's going to be there what a, what other reason than than meeting leaving for goodness sakes and oh, wait a minute there's a rooftop <laughs> free party conference where you can actually meet Levin and catch the Vonk. And there is a champagne tasting where I will be present and so far you won't be. <laughs> he can't get you into that. He's just virtue signaling that he's going and we're not. Yeah, that hurts. That hurts. There's no Groupon for the champagne. 
champagne tasting. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Okay. I'm just going to focus on the Paris skyline rooftop party with our friends at Vonk. Again, this is a pre-unleash party. So it's an unleash party. Vonk's going to be there. Chad and Cheese leaving. Uh, I might have the bouncers throw him out unless we can get into this <laughs> champagne tasting. <laughs> You'll yeah. get to see all the Eiffel Tower from the rooftop, not just the tip. Stop it! All right, guys, we got a four-way. Can I interest you in one of those? Uh, a new recruitment group formed under the brand Talent, that's T-E-L-L-E-N-T, has been created through the acquisition and connection of several hiring software, HR management system, and employee performance management software companies. The collaboration is between Recruity, an ATS based in Amsterdam, Simpa, a Finnish HRMS firm, and Javalo, a French SaaS pl- platform for HR performance management, along with their acquisition of Kiwi HR, founded in 2017, who provide HRMS for small businesses. The aim of the collaboration is to establish a major HR tech ecosystem in Europe and brings together over 500 employees across 11 offices, serving over 6,000 customers in more than 100 countries. Four-way is not just a way I order my Skyline (laughs) chili, Chad. What's your take? It's a reference that nobody in Europe's going to understand. So the article... In EU startups mentions market fragmentation, which, you know, we're, we're, we're obviously seeing all over the place. How can smaller organizations actually compete with some of these larger core talent platforms or these, the, these huge organizations who have many different brands underneath them? Apparently, this is how they create a umbrella group talent and uh, they start uh, collecting companies like Recruitee, who's Dutch, Simpa, Finnish, uh, Jaleo, Parisian, and then Kiwi HR, which is which is German. I can see an organization trying to f- fight more well-funded platforms with alliances like this, but it then turns into, it could turn into a convoluted mess unless it's managed correctly. So these organizations will operate separately if I'm, if I'm getting this right, but how are they gonna market, share leads, and sell together. And and I, I got to pass this over to Levin because this is something that you guys deal with and you're masters of over at House of HR. You have like 50 different companies under the House of HR brand. How do you guys manage all of this? The House of HR leadership team in itself, you guys have to manage all these brands, the leads, the continuity, how do you do it? And how do you see an organization like this prospectively being able to manage it or just go go crazy? Well, I think the first choice you have to make is, do you want to stay a multi-brand company or do you want to evolve a one-brand company? And it's like, we always decided we were buying companies because they were outperforming the others and they were the best in class and we bought them. So we didn't want to change them. And I wonder if this is the same strategy these people are going to use. Are they just going to stay different companies or are they going to merge someday into one company having a pan-European approach? Because I think that's the way to go. They have a local base spread around Europe, but working separately, working independently, but working together. And if they can fix their own stuff, their own software, and if they can make sure that at least their own products are working seamlessly together, they might Mm -hmm. have good products. That's the problem always with HR 
HR software packages, they just don't talk to each other. One SME can have five different systems not collaborating at all. So if those four companies now can deliver something, at least their products working together, they could be off on a very well track. What I first thought of Chad is uh, Employee Inc. bringing together Jobvite and Lever and uh, Jazz HR and some others. The pull to be uh, multi-brand is a powerful one. I think where this one is different is as opposed to having a bunch of ATSs under the same umbrella, it's a bunch of different companies that do different things. So I I would have to imagine they're going to pull these things together and be complementary to each other as opposed to have this ATS is for small business, this ATS is for enterprise. They're going to try to pull the same together. And I agree, like it's a clusterfuck to, to buy companies and acquire companies in the U.S., you have different cultures, you have different processes, different ways of doing things. And you throw in a bunch of European companies together. I got to think that goes to a different level because you're looking at different languages, different cultures in general. It's not just, you know, the South and the West Coast. It's like really different things. So, so I, I mean, I think this is something that a lot of customers are driving. I think customers want a lot of services under one umbrella. They don't want a bunch of different accounts, but a different bunch of different invoices. But this has trouble written all over it. Uh, if they can pull this off, more power to them. But I think the tide is against them to get this thing done and, and be successful. I think it's going to be very challenging. House of HR does it every day. They have 50, well, right? They have so, different I mean, brands that they keep separate. You no, know, these are all different brands underneath talent, right? So they're different brands underneath well, talent, much like, much like, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, from, from what it looks like, they're going to operate separately as all of these brands underneath talent. Now, House of HR is the umbrella brand with 50 brands underneath it. That's how House of HR works every day, which is why I asked Levin, how do you guys manage this mess? I, I, and also you take a look at it, it's Dutch, Finnish, French, and German. So it looks like they're doing much like what House of HR is trying to do. They're trying to spread out, get brands in those specific markets that, that are known in those markets. From a marketing point of view, I think one brand is so much easier. If you want to put one brand into the market, it's fun. It's easy. If you have 52 brands like we have, that's something else. But from the company's point of view, they have their own identity and we don't want to change it. And I think this is what they're going to try to do with talent for different companies, one umbrella. If they want to stay for different companies, just working together a bit, then basically they just keep doing what they did. What I was intrigued by, and maybe I just got uh, the press release wrong, but do I get it right? Those three companies, Rick Simpa and Javalo, were independent companies and they just bought together a third company. And that's a strange way of working. They weren't together before buying the fort, if I get it right. Yeah, Recruit T actually acquired Simpa back in 2021. They've kept separate brands. Okay, so they it's not like they already had some kind of structure. It was already one company with two brands. I, I thought yeah. when I was reading the press release and I was looking into it, I thought it's like three CEOs sitting in a bar talking, damn, uh, how, how do you feel about the Kiwi HR? How oh, we like him, we want to buy him, but they're too expensive. Why don't you just put all our money together and let's buy them together? I thought it was something like that. Well, if we're confused, think of the market when they go to market with this thing. 
how confused the buyers are going to be and the consumers are going to be. Yeah, it, that's what that's what's incredibly interesting to me. Again, as we look at House of HR, they have 52 brands and how many different countries you guys have a strategy in place. Uh, I'm sure, you know, there are there's a symbiotic relationship in some cases with from brand to brand where you can share leads. You can actually expand wallet share. There are certain things that you're doing, but that didn't happen overnight. I mean, wh- no, what does I'm, a company like this have to do to be able to, to, to mesh? It doesn't seem easy. It seems more like a pain in the ass. Sometimes some of our brands are even competitors in certain areas. We have um, Abilson doing engineering in Belgium. We have Continue doing engineering in Belgium. We have Control F doing engineering in Belgium. Those people are colleagues, but they're also competitors. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's I think if they could deliver one single point of contact, one solution, including different brands, different options, different proposals, it could work. But they have to make sure all those systems work together seamlessly. And that's always the problem. It's the... Interactivity, which mostly sucks. <laughs> Feels like to me, and, and leaving Craig if I'm wrong, that, that Europe tends to be more let brands live in their own ecosystem in their own country or their own market share. Whereas America, I think we tend to say like, you're going to be under the main brand. We're going to you know take your tech and everything. Uh, we're going to take away what you thought of, i.e. monster you know, blowing out OCC, right, Chad? Like we're going to take your tech and the brand is gone. I feel like Europe has a little bit more of a um, house of brands mentality than the U.S. does. Agree? I don't think it's a European thing. I think it's um, it's a decision each company has to make for itself. I used to work for USG people back in the days, and they had a different approach. They bought companies, and then they all, for example, within Belgium, you had USG professionals, about 10 different companies. But in the end, they all got the same logo, the same name. You had legal professional, finance professional, some other professionals. They all became... XXX professional. Now it seems it didn't work. And at House of HR, we, we are very sure about what we're doing now, letting those companies, which were so good from the beginning, let just be mm-hmm. whoever they are and don't force yeah. them to be something they're not. And it's a mistake many companies make. And you say it's more often a Europe, a Europe than in the Americas. I don't know, could be. But uh, it's definitely not always the case in Europe as well. Well, don't you don't you see from country to country that, that, that let's say, for instance, uh, the French are more territorial versus Germans? I mean, because we don't see that in the US. If it's a an Ohio company doing business in New Mexico, nobody cares. It's, it's all the same language. It's all the United United States. But in Europe, you have a French company trying to do business in Germany or vice versa. There can be some 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 territorial kind of like, no, I'm not I'm not buying German tech. Do you see that? Is that something that actually exists or is that just us looking from the outside in? I don't think many people will say I'm not going to buy something German. I'm not going to buy something from Norway. It's more about approach and about languages. Sometimes it's just easier even for me to work with a company who lives close and who speaks my language. And everyone speaks English to a certain extent, as you can hear. Mm-hmm. My extent is different than yours. We understand each other more or less, but being able to speak to someone who speaks your exact same language is easier. And that's something, a problem you just don't have. Yeah. Well, I got to say that English is probably Levin's fifth language, which makes us dumb because I think Joel and I maybe speak bits and parts of Spanish and German every now and again. But you have amazing English. Let's just say that. My, my Flemish and my uh, Dutch, uh, non-existent. Yeah, but then again, why would you learn 
Dutch. I mean, French, <laughs> French, maybe it sounds a bit, uh, if you're going to a champagne party, it's good to speak a few words of French. Oh. Uh, but you're not going to the champagne party. Sorry. Oui, oui. Keep, keep repeating it. But uh, it helps when you speak French then. But no, it's true. It's true. And English is, uh, is the world's language. I once had a professor saying this class will be taught in the most spoken language in the world. Bad English. He was right. So, uh, <laughs> so it was in American is how the no, class was taught. It was uh, a guy with my accent, I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's take a quick break and work all these uh, cultural issues out. And uh, we'll talk about virtual reality, everybody. Yep. Everyone deserves their best job. That's what Fiji stands for. We make a big difference for independent recruiters with the strength of our fast-growing recruiter network. At Fiji, you can be your best self and work for the company you'd like whenever and wherever. We support you with the best digital and online recruitment marketing. We offer professional business development support, recruitment specialist training, and a bit of rebellious network meetings. Let's join strengths and help more professionals find the job they love. Celebrate recruitment and join Fiji at FYGI.nl. I don't know that there's enough time to work all the cultural issues out, although talking about VR is always something I love doing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Some news out of Levens, home base of Belgium. A little company called Adeco is starting a pilot project in Belgium with three large mobile virtual reality simulators with the aim to train more than 400 forklift truck drivers and order pickers every year. Why? Well, there are currently 4,000 forklift truck driver vacancies in Belgium. ADECO wants to prepare 200 drivers for the Belgian labor market by 2022 and at least 400 per year from 200, 2023. After the pilot project in Belgium, the VR training will be rolled out in the rest of the world. Chad, are you ready to get your forklift on and your Oculus in Belgium? <laughs> uh, okay, so I trained in VR uh, simulators in the military for squad tactics, firing ranges, but this, this is 10 plus years ago. They were great from the standpoint of being able to record and replay the training. It didn't take place on the real ground for, for, for training, rather it supplemented our training. We could always take a squad back into the VR training set to go over basic tactics. I mean, it, ga it gave you an opportunity to get more repetition. It gave you more training time uh, without the, the the high expense in this case of owning a bunch of, of forklifts. So I'm very surprised that staffing companies haven't used this or, or different methods to start training in a variety of different positions. If you think of it, when a deco starts creating forklift operators, they could have somewhat of a corner on the market. So what if they did this on the other, you know, other skills to fill positions, healthcare engineers? I mean, the investment could be substantial, but if they are partnering with certain organizations, they could easily alleviate that cost. So, you know, Levin, this is something that we've talked about on several podcasts before. Why isn't staffing doing more of this? They could corner the market in some areas. We are starting to do it, all of us. House of Vicharis, our competitors are, for example, Accent, one of our staffing companies has mm -hmm. bought a, co a company, a training company called Atrium. And they are actually specialized in training people into logistics, truck drivers, like you have here, um, what's it called? Forklift drivers, but also yep. uh, warehouse people, those kinds of things. That's, that's not really new. And we, in our business, we definitely need to be able to 
identify people and identify their skills and reskill them when necessary. We, ha we have to identify potential, not skills which are present yet, but potential. And this is something our people are getting pretty good at. And then by acquiring a training company like they did with Atrium, we can reskill them and put them at our clients whenever the needs arise. So it's not really new. The new thing here is the VR component. And I like VR sometimes. In this case, I think it could work, but only for people who are already truck or um, uh, forklift drivers. You're not going to learn how to drive a forklift with a VR headset because it's just not the same thing. I mean, I play golf or I, I, I hit a ball from time to time. There's no way that the VR set is going to train me how to play golf. No way. It might look similar from a distance, but it's not the same thing. But VR is, in my opinion, very interesting to simulate potential dangerous situations. So you can give existing forklift drivers an extra training. How would you react if this happened? I'm just imagining something, your lotus wiggling, or what's it called in English? The lotus moving on your, uh, on your truck. How will you react? No, he's not talking about big booty Latinas, Cheeseman. No, get your no. head out of Fork, Forking there. forklifts, yes, I, I know. I never talk about big booty Latinas, <laughs> believe me. But uh, no, so I say VR is interesting to simulate potential da dangerous situations. I think it can be handy to get people acquainted with new environments. Let's say we're going to place 10 forklift drivers at a certain client but they mm -hmm. don't have the time or the space to get them acquainted with their their warehouse so we recreate it in a vr environment that's a possibility too but i don't believe that for example a driver license for a car that you can become a decent driver by learning on a vr you'll crash into the first car you uh, you encounter i think so it's good to help people learn but it mm -hmm. will never be a complete substitute today. I mean, never say never, but with the products we have today, I don't think so. But maybe that's not their uh, intention. Levin brings up a good point with the safety issue, but you also think about the space issue. You know, you think about jobs that training with VR, you need a lot of real estate to do that, right? You need a lot of warehouse space to train people in person with forklifts and how to drive around and take boxes to other places. Not everyone has that kind of real estate. It's just like with a plane, you can't just fly planes around. It's a lot easier to just put someone in a, a, a virtual cockpit. Uh, same with battlefields, right, Chad? It's a lot easier to, to put them in a, a virtual headset reality. To me, this seems a lot more of an issue around branding this job and paying it in a way that people would find it desirable. It, it's a shitty job. You sit in a chair all day and you move boxes around. It's an important job. It's a job that we need uh, to be done. But branding it as a job that's that's cool or interesting or you're helping the economy, to me, would go a lot farther. And paying these folks uh, a wage that's competitive would go farther uh, no one comes out of school thinking I want to be a forklift driver, whereas a pilot might be sexy, a surgeon or a milit you know, a soldier are sexy. Do I really want to put on a virtual headset and learn how to drive a forklift? That's going to be really popular with the girls uh, down at the champagne toasting. So, <laughs> speaking so, French. Well, I agree. This is this is a great way to to train people for this job, and the technology is there to do it. I think it's covering up a bigger issue in that the job sucks and the pay probably sucks even more. In Fix those, and I don't think you'll have to the the problems with how you train people. 
you'll have a line out the door of people that want to do it. Yeah. I think, I think this is going to be a robot takeover at one time and, yeah. and, but, but virtual reality and, and let's go back to it. you talk about flight simulators, pilots use that to augment uh, their time and they're, and they're put into those situations, much like Levin had talked about those dangerous situations. How would they actually fare in those dangerous situations? But I, I see VR as this great augmentation to real world, to be able to get more reps, to be able to, to, to be put into, uh, again, a battlefield scenario that you might not ever see, but you could always be ready for because you actually went through simulations. Nursing, I mean, all these, these different uh, skills that we today have problems filling jobs with, they, this is all about repetition. So how do we get them repetition and how do we do it uh, cost effectively? And uh, with an, with an opportunity to prospectively flex quickly as well. That's another thing that our training in our schools are not keeping up with Moore's law in the technology. Right, Moore's law is moving technology so fast that schools can't keep up with the new tech. And I'm not just talking about developers. I'm talking about nursing tech, right? Uh, things like that. VR could help, I think, be that augmentation piece to be able to help with uh, with, yeah. with a, a quicker transition. It's a great point. I mean, I think robots are eventually going to do these jobs and the job will eventually become you're sitting in an office with a virtual headset and you're going to forklift number one and you're doing forklift number one, and it's a robot doing it, but you're the human in the in the brain, you know, doing that one. Okay, done. Let's go to number two, and you're virtually lifting that and taking it to where it needs to go. So, in a way, making this job cool is to say it's like you'll play a video game, and the video game is take the forklift and take the uh, materials to the uh, the right warehouse, etc. I don't know this job, so I'm speaking out of my asshole, but uh, that's kind of like. A way to solve this problem is train these people in VR because the job is inevitably going to be a video game putting boxes where they need to go. Every box will have a QR code. They'll the the robot will scan it. They'll know exactly where it needs to go. They won't need somebody in a trailer in Nevada doing it like uh, like drones do. <laughs> and they'll all have their own TikTok account. So as you're putting boxes up, you're going to get likes and comments from your uh, social media about how good of a job you're doing. And uh, uh, that'll, that'll create the dopamine hit that everyone needs to do their jobs. Oh, that went out in the left field, didn't it? So, Levin, you are you are you guys are currently doing this at House of HR, which is which is awesome. The question is, much like Joel was was talking about, some of these jobs just aren't sexy. How do you get people into these these jobs? The struggle is real. I mean, for these kinds of uh, of vacancies, we get a handful of applicants each time, and most of them aren't even qualified at all. So. It's hard, but, and this might sound very cynical, there are always jobs which are even worse. So for some people, this actually is a big improvement. And sexy is what you make of it. I mean... Right? It's all relative. Yeah. It, it is relative. I've seen on a television show, a guy who with a forklift who was able to strike a match. So they taped a match on, his, uh, on the fork and he was able to strike a match without breaking it and putting on a candle. I mean, that's... A fraction of a millimeter, I guess. So he was very proud of his job. And uh, it was a kind of a challenge. And two forklift drivers challenged each other in doing tricks because they all thought they were the best. But that's great. And those people were <laughs> proud in their job. So I think it's even arrogant of us to think that these jobs are, are something people don't want. It's a very good point. But um, we, we call them the, the burger flipping jobs. 
But there is a reason why there's a shortage. Definitely, yeah, of course. And there are always jobs. It, it's not fair. I mean, the best jobs, the most fun jobs, like my job, are well-paid jobs. And that's not fair. I mean, I'm, I'm, some people have to work extremely hard, long hours in a difficult environment, and they still get paid shit. Well, and we're talking about supply chain in this case, which we've had issues with that. Uh, I mean, these, these positions do deserve great pay and not to be treated like shit because they are uh, the reason why our supply chain even works. Yeah. And the moment you don't have any truck, truck drivers left, we won't get any food in the store. At least they suffer nearby as opposed to our offshoring story where you can suffer from thousands of miles away. A lot of restaurants took a hit during the pandemic. Uh, and when they struggled to find workers, some found surprising solutions such as offshoring cashiers. Earlier this year, the fast food chain Freshy came under fire for using virtual cashiers to ring up customers in Toronto, Canada. Instead of a friendly clerk standing behind the counter, there was a face on a screen asking them what they wanted from a different country thousands of miles away. This felt really off to a lot of people, but it also feels like the future. Chad, what's your take on offshoring of cashiers? Apparently, you have a real-life story to tell. Yeah, Julie and I were, were checking into a boutique hotel in London, and we walked up to uh, where the desk clerk should be, and there was an iPad. Uh, it, it flickered on as we approached, and a nice man who was sitting in India actually uh greeted us uh, it was it was interesting the experience wasn't great it was it was disjointed it was really kind of weird to be quite frank and in this case with freshy you know the the this is you know a canadian story with a with a with a london spin from from my personal experience it seems as if obviously they they're saying that this is a staffing issue where they can't find people to actually work the the cash register uh, but then again, they're paying people $3.75 an hour Canadian. This is, a, this is an interesting way to offshore some jobs that we've never seen offshore before to be able to, to, to build more margin and to prospectively, I, mean, I don't know, get rid of some jobs that people don't want to do. I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's a weird twist. Yeah. I was wondering while you were talking, Chet, I, why didn't anyone steal the iPad? I mean, if the guy wasn't even there, you could just take the iPad and run away and the guy could be yelling, don't steal me, don't steal me. But Security it's cameras. not like he could do anything. No, no. But I think it's actually a pretty ingenious idea. And for some jobs, it's... It makes sense that they, people can't work remote. I mean, if you're a cashier, you have to be in the shop and you have to, to help the people. But if one out of five cashiers would be virtual, those people could work one out of five days from home. And we have, and I'm sure they have it everywhere, uh, in our um, retail stores or grocery stores, we have something called a self-scan. Uh, you all know it, uh, you, you just scan yourself and there is one person watching over seven or eight self-scans and well, it goes, and it's a bit, it's not very social. I mean, it's, it's, you do it yourself and you say bye and you leave. I mean, there is a social aspect in, the, in this iPad stuff. I mean, you actually talk to someone. So it's for elderly people, I think it would be more fun to do your self-scan while there's someone you can talk to. It's a different approach. 
And I also thought it would be very interesting for, like, say, um, the clerks at, at railway stations. Now you can buy your ticket in a vending machine, but sometimes you have a question and you need to know where do I need to get off the train and where would I need to get on the train. And those people are sitting there in this boring little, I don't know what the name is in English, uh, a loquette in Dutch. Those boring little, it's not offices, but you know what I mean? Yeah. That could be done by a screen. Someone explaining, okay, where would you like to go? I need a ticket to uh, to Paris because it's almost unleashed. Ah, then you need the tallies and the tallies is leaving at uh, six past ten. And um, if you um, enter this button, then you'll get your ticket there. Okay, but is it direct? No, it's going to stop in Brussels South. And this is something which could easily be done by people working remote. And that actually would be a pretty interesting experience, I think. You don't need the person live in front of you, but you do need interaction. And you could get the interaction by video, I think. I think it's worth trying out in some ways. I think it's it's the future. I ordered sandwiches at a place called Jimmy John's, which Chad knows, uh, Levin may not. Uh, I ordered it on my phone. I walked into the restaurant. I saw a bag that said Joel on it. I took it and I walked out. Uh, the last time I was in Shake Shack, I went to a kiosk. I tapped out my order. I put in my credit card. I sat down until they called my name that my food was ready. I think this is just the way that it's going to be. I think, Chad, in your, in your case, it's going to move from offshoring paying $3 an hour to a virtual person, and they're going to scan your face, or they're going to know your credit card or something, and they're going to say, hey, Chad and Julie, welcome back to whatever uh, we got your room ready. We're excited to have you back. Uh, we've given you complimentary whatever because it's your 10th trip to our hotel. And you're going to feel like it's more personable. It's not going to feel like someone a thousand miles away. So th the tech is going to catch up to all this. I think the the virtual offshoring whatever thing is a bridge to where we're going. But frankly, I'm I'm perfectly fine not talking to people. I know that I'm pretty antisocial in general. But I'm fine tapping an order on a screen and then just being served what I ordered. That's a future I'm cool with. Now, I think there's some some places like I don't want to go to In-N-Out Burger and and do the kiosk. I think the whole personal culture of In-N-Out warrants people that are in white outfits and are really nice. I think Chick-fil-A is going to have a hard time going totally digital because of their culture and how they service customers. But by and large, most places you can go give me a kiosk, give me a mobile app. Uh, I'm good. And at some point, a robot's going to do all the cooking. There may not even be any people at all in these in these places, let alone people that are a thousand miles away. Yeah. What you're talking about is very minority report. And when we start talking about facial recognition, I think that's where everything breaks down uh, is because w maybe in China, they're doing it in China uh, and, it's, and it works well for them in China, but uh, they don't have quite the privacy regulations that Europe has and then the US has. Yeah. I think from a scale standpoint, it's it's smart. It's amazing. The problem where this all falls down is wages and taxes. In this case, the Freshy case, these individuals were actually working from Nicaragua. They weren't getting paid the the, the minimum wage in Canada. And were they paying taxes in Canada? I don't think they were. They, you know, so it's one of those things. Are they getting health care from Canada? Yeah, of course, of course not. So <laughs> of course not. Uh, that's the thing is, is Canadians want to know how does, how does this actually impact positively or negatively their economy? How can you do something like this at scale and, and offer 
Canadians, let's say, for instance, Canadians, an opportunity to do this kind of job where instead of being just a cashier for one freshie, you're a cashier for all the freshies in Toronto, right? But you're getting paid a good minimum wage, taxes are getting taken out, those types of things. These are these are the conversations that we need to have, I think. Yeah. It's a very Canadian thing for them to think, are they getting paid our minimum wage? Are they getting our health care benefits as Canadians? Americans wouldn't have such care, I don't think. If we saw a Nicaraguan virtual person on the screen, I think it would be as long as I get my $5 biggie meal, I don't care where they're coming from or what they're being paid. Yeah, but it would become a problem for your people if um, the people who are actually doing these jobs right now are losing their job because someone else in Nicaragua can do them for uh, $1 a day. And then things will change because this will impact yeah. the economy. And that's the yeah. same problem I've got with, with uh, platform economies like Fiverr. I mean, with Fiverr, for $5, I can have a logo designed by someone who's living in a city where a house only costs 100 euros a month. So it's mm -hmm. just, it's not fair to, to have those people compete. That's your choice of who you hire. Yeah. You can hire only local uh, contractors if you wish. And pay 200 times as much. But that's on you. If that's know, on your conscience, yeah. then you can go ahead and pay more for a local uh, contractor. The thing is, though, when you talk about the U.S., we used to manufacture things. Then we outsourced it. So we don't do that anymore. Now we have a plethora of what? Fast food jobs. So we moved. This is the outsourcing of a, another another aspect of jobs. Maybe they weren't as well paying as the manufacturing jobs. In, in the U.S., it's a much different than in Europe. We're more focused on rugged individualism, where in Europe, you guys are more focused on the community. The collective. Yeah, which to be quite frank, you know, this is going to be a different discussion as the U.S. starts to do something like this. It's all about how much, how much uh, you know, can we pad the margin versus in Europe, who's paying for this, where are the taxes going, those types of things. We do have rules and rules just to avoid social dumping. And this would be a new way of social dumping. Uh, of course, we have more experience with the problem, given the situation in Eastern Europe and, uh, and Western Europe, the huge differences in wages 10, 15 years ago is getting better now. But all those people came working in the West because they earned more, even if we paid them less. And then there, there were um, new, new legislations about um, equal pay for um, if you work for, even if you're from Romania, If you work in Belgium, you get the minimum wages from Belgium, of course. Huh? Now it's, it's, it's evident. It didn't was a few years ago. But this could be a new kind of social dumping. It's, it could become a problem. Social dumping. Is that what Florida did to uh, Martha's Vineyard, Chad? Is that the same thing? Is That's more human dumping, which is uh, even worse. And with that, we out. We out. We out. <laughs>
chatcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.